Welcome to the Plain Sense Podcast, where the life-changing Word of God is made accessible and understandable to all. Here is your host, Dr. Joel Madasu. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Plain Sense Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Joel Madasu. Uh, in this uh, podcast interview, I have a special guest with us that is uh, Dr. Ken Killen. He is the pastor of Maxwell Hill Baptist Church. Pastor Killam, thank you so much for your time and for joining me here on this uh, interview. Well, Joel, thank you for the opportunity to be a part of the broadcast. Thank you. I would ask uh, you to explain to us, to the audience, who you are, uh, and give us a little bit about about yourself. I, um, going all the way back to uh, my childhood, I was, I, I'm a native of the Appalachian region of, of the country here. Um, my father was a coal miner, um, and so um, that's my roots. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a, an alumni of Appalachian Bible College, uh, graduated in 1986. From there, I went on to do a master's at Grace Theological Seminary in Winona Lake, and then started the doctoral program at Northland International University up in Wisconsin, uh, but transferred from there down to North Greenville University in Greenville, South Carolina, where I finished up my doctoral work. Uh, been married for 40 plus years. Uh, I've been a senior pastor for uh, 30, uh, 36, 37 years. Wow. 20, no, 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 wait a minute. I'm, I'm, uh, it's, it's, it's about uh, 32 years. I'm making myself older than what I should. Uh, 27 of those years has been here as a senior pastor at Maxwell Hill. And so um, I teach uh, adjunct at uh, Appalachian Bible College. And I've done that for probably about 10 years now. Mm. Okay. Okay, well, um, I, have a, I have an interesting topic today. Thank you for the, the introduction part about yourself. The question that I have for this interview is, how do we go about making changes in the church without destroying the church. So as a pastor, you have lots of experience for so many years, and uh, you've probably seen some changes coming uh, that may need to be done, uh, the action needs to be taken. So how do you go about making changes in church without destroying it? Well, um, I, I think that um, you, got, you gotta have, you gotta have an understanding of what, what I could, what I would think would be three things. Um, first of all, is change necessary? And my answer to that question would be yes, it is necessary. And one of the reasons that I would say that is because in both practical experience um, and e even theologically, the only thing that is immutable in our whole human experience is God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. But everything around us, including ourselves, change is necessary. Um, as people, we change. Um, <laughs> I look at pictures from 20 years ago, and it's pretty obvious that I've changed. Um, <laughs> and and so, so change is very much a part of our human experience. And I honestly believe that that is by design, that the only immutable element of our lives is God himself. He never changes. 
he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Mm-hmm. That, <clears throat> that makes him then our anchor point. That's what we're always anchored to. And then not only that, but it makes him our North Star. I mean, he is our guiding. He, he you know, we, we, as we pursue him, um, he, he is able to, he remains the same. Um, and that, that allows us, I think, then to um, answer some of the questions about making changes in church. And I think that allows us to answer some very crucial questions. First of all, I think that we've got to know what can't change in church. Um, and of course, the gospel, the message, the purpose, those things are established by our immutable God in his word. And so we have to know what cannot change. Knowing what cannot change then gives us the security and the freedom to answer the question, okay, what can change? There are some things in church that can change, but it's not necessary to make those changes. Uh, But we can change them. And if we know what can't change, then that gives me the security to address those things that can change. And the third question, I think, or the third issue in regards to change is what must change? There are some things within within the church that have to change. Um, And, uh, for example, um, the, you know, how we how we communicate uh, uh, the gospel, um, and I mean literally the verbal communication. And your podcast here is is one example. Um, you, you know, prior to the age of electronics, mm-hmm. uh, men stood in the open air and preached with just the human voice, without any kind of magnification without any kind of broadcast or anything, or at least electronically broadcast aid or anything of the sort. But as those tools became available to us, then I think it was necessary. It wasn't just an option, but it was necessary for us to utilize those tools in order to be as effective as we possibly could in spreading the gospel and reaching as many people as we possibly could as we possibly can. And so being able to know what can change, what can't change and what must change and being able to answer those questions, I think is crucial to being able to make the changes that are necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you for the, these three points. If, 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 an issue, if an issue comes up, issue in the sense like where there's a time where you need to uh, uh, have, where you need to take a step for the transition from, say, for example, deacons to elders, mm-hmm. or elders to deacons. Mm-hmm. How how would you suggest that a church could make the kind of transition? Well, we actually made that that transition here at Maxwell Hill probably about mm, 12, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it it was a um, the polity of our church at that point in time was a senior pastor with a board of deacons and there were no elders. Uh, it is my conviction that uh, elders is uh, of course uh, a biblical office that is established by the word of God. 
And I believe that there is a plurality of elders that we can uh, easily defend in the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And so we established that, that office of uh, elders. We established a plurality of elders and along with, with uh, keeping the office of deacons, of course, because I, I believe that that too is a biblical office, but uh, ordained of the Lord. But in order to make that transition um, to being an elder-led, and I like that term better than I do elder rule, I, I, would, I say to folks that we are an elder-led congregation uh, with the assistance and the help of the Office of Deacons. But the way that we made that transition, Joel, was to, first of all, um, establish the the, the truth, the biblical principles that we find in the scripture concerning church polity. And I uh, led our leaders and our leadership team uh, through a study of the office of elder and the necessity of establishing that office within our church, uh, helping them to understand that, um, you know, that many of the deacons <clears throat> had probably been serving as in the, at least the function they were functioning as elders anyway. And uh, so <clears throat> we just, I led them through a, a biblical study, established that as the truth, allowed them the opportunity to ask questions, to uh, voice their concerns, um, e even voice their opposition uh, if, if there was any. And, and we dealt with that in, in, a, in a very non-threatening way. Um, I, it wasn't something that I was attempting to ram down their throats. Uh, I was simply teaching them the, the truth but the, the, uh, in, in regards to uh, biblical leadership and church polity. Hmm. And we took probably um, the better part of a year, I don't know exactly the time frame, but I started with just the leadership team and we worked through that biblically. Um, and um, then after they were comfortable, after they were satisfied, after this became their conviction as well, <laughs> it was then that we moved, we took our study to the next level of leadership, but I'm talking about Sunday school teachers, uh, small group leaders, um, and, and uh, you know, even our children's, uh, the leaders within our children's ministry. And we invited them in. We sat down. As a matter of fact, we, we took all of those people away on a retreat. Um, and we shared with them the information. And, and even some of the men who had been through, I didn't teach all the, I didn't teach every session. Some of the men who had been through that, they, they got the concept. They were comfortable with their ability to communicate and defend uh, this position. They taught some of that as well. And then from there, uh, we uh, taught biblical po uh, church polity in the midweek uh, Bible study time. Um, and following that, uh, we, we let the congregation know that we were going to be transitioning to uh, this church polity, uh, that there would be a um, time whenever the congregation could ask questions, whenever they could voice their concerns. Um, 
And uh, it, that whole process probably took about two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when the time came for us to have the business meeting, to explain that we're making this transition, I, I really don't, there, there wasn't, I can't even remember one question being asked in that meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, I mean, the, the congregation, they, they knew, they understood, they accepted, and, and it, it really was accomplished without any controversy at all. And so I, to sum up, I would say that we started with a very small group of our leaders, very, the, the, you know, the very influential leaders. Uh, we communicated that very clearly, allowed the, the men to um, develop their own convictions concerning this. And uh, then we, and then we moved out in, into larger circles until we included the entire congregation in that in that process. Mm. So that's how we made that transition. Okay, that's very interesting because one of my questions that I just written down here, did you face any issues during the transition? But you answered that in, in some ways. So there's not many issues? It, it, it wasn't. <clears throat> there, there were, I, I'm not saying that some of the men didn't raise questions and even some objections, but it was, it was in such a way that they were, I mean, they were genuine questions. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, I want to make a point and I want to divide the church over this. Mm-hmm. That it, it was a, it was a very um, non-volatile. I mean, it was a, it was a learning experience is what I'm saying. And so the questions that were asked were genuine questions. Um, mm-hmm. And the objections that were made were genuine objections. It wasn't to make a point. It wasn't a power struggle. It never got into that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, we, we did our best to diffuse that kind of thinking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from the very beginning, I let them know that this isn't something that um, needs to be uh, volatile and needs to be controversial. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is a change that needs to be made. Mm-hmm. And, and I let them know that we're, we will take our time. We'll take our time and work through this. Um, you know, we, I, don't, I don't have a time frame. I didn't give them a time frame. Uh, but but uh, actually, the, this whole transition took time in the sense you didn't rush to do the transition. But over the time, it just sort of worked out because you were explaining step by step. Yes. And, and as, as people understood for themselves, it wasn't. It, it became their conviction. Mm. It, it became it became something that they were very comfortable with, and it was like, well, yeah, let's you know, we understand the reasoning why we we get the biblical principle. We see that that is, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a uh, we can defend this biblically, mm-hmm. and so then they they got behind the change. They got behind. Uh, and they, as a matter of fact, in the end, I would say that some of those men were pushing me. <laughs> they were saying, let's, you know, enough of this. Let's just get this done so that we can get on with the, with the, the uh, uh, implementing this so that we can execute ministry more effectively. Mm. That's, that's wonderful. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, if, if a church or, for example, if a pastor is wanting to do uh, the change, bringing a change in the church, what things would you suggest? or a pastor? The first thing I would say is 
is <clears throat> make sure that, that what, what you're changing is um, fits within that category of it can be changed and it would help us to be more effective in preaching the gospel, communicating the gospel, making disciples. Make sure that the change that you're wanting to make will accomplish that objective of the, of the church. Um, and, and be ready and able to present that in a, um, in a non-threatening way. Now, I, you know, I understand that some people are, are I mean, they're, they're going to resist change no matter what. Mm -hmm. I understand that. Uh, but even with those people, I think you need to be gentle. Um, and uh, I, I, I think it was G.K. Chesterton who said, before you start removing fences, you need to find out why the fence was put there. <laughs> and, and I think that that's good advice. Uh, you know, before you start changing things, uh, you probably ought to evaluate why the church is doing things the way they're doing it. Um, and, uh, but you know, at the other end of the spectrum, uh, Joel, I think it's important that we don't communicate to our congregation as you know, a leader that we don't need to change anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think you communicate the wrong message there. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think you create uh, an atmosphere that's not healthy. Mm -hmm. whenever, whenever, you, whenever you yourself become resistant to, to change. Um, I, and I think that I'm quoting this man correctly. Um, uh, but Paul Sager, who is director of missions at uh, Biblical Ministries Worldwide down in Atlanta, Georgia, he asked the question one time of a group of, of pastors of which I was a part. Uh, he said, should we change things for the sake of change? And I think that's a good question. And my answer to that question is yes. We should change things simply for the sake of change. Now, I don't mean we need to be novel or that we need to be cute and hip. That's not what I'm talking about. But I think that we need to communicate to our people that our culture is changing, our society is changing, and in order to be effectively reaching this new generation, this new culture, this new, the, the changes that have happened within our society culture, that we as a church need to be able to be relative, be, be salt and light. And we can't be salt and light if we're in the salt shaker and under a bushel. And so, you know, the world around us is changing. And so in order to remain effective, we must be innovative in being able to reach, the, reach that culture. Um, and so <clears throat> if we communicate to our, to our congregation that we're never going to change, <laughs> mm -hmm. then we set, up a, we set up a mentality, we set up an attitude of becoming rigid so that whenever it becomes necessary to change and there's nothing we can do about it, mm -hmm then we can't make those changes. We're not flexible. And so 
if we create our, if we, if we set up a culture of changing and remaining pliable in the hands of God, then whenever change becomes necessary, then um, we can make those changes without breaking. Um, and I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. <clears throat> a number of years ago, um, I visited uh, and taught in a, a Bible Institute in Kiev, Ukraine. And um, it was in uh, a rather large and influential Baptist church there in Kiev. And uh, during the uh, Cold War, during the, the time of um, the Soviet Union, before the Soviet Union collapsed, mm -hmm. uh, this church had learned how to make disciples and how to do church under a communist regime. Mm -hmm. And they, they, were, they learned how to do that. But when the Soviet Union collapsed and those restrictions were removed, this church had a very difficult time in adapting to those changes that had occurred mm -hmm. and operating and functioning in a free world. And, and, a, and a divide began to develop and grow within that church because there were people who wanted, you know, wanted to do ministry very openly and very, uh, you know, courageously and publicly. And yet the leadership had never done church that way. And they, they, you know, it was, it was difficult for them to make that change and make that transition. Um, and so, you know, I think that it's important that we establish in our people's minds, God is the only thing that doesn't change. He is the only immutable thing. His word doesn't change. The gospel doesn't change and all of those things. And, you know, those are, those are things that are taken for granted, but he is our, he is our anchor point. He is the immutable one. And as long as we understand that, as long as we remain anchored to him and his word, then we can know what can change and what can't change. That is wonderful. I, I, uh, I like the, uh, the story that you expressed to explain that happened in the Soviet. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't, it was a good change. Mm -hmm. It was a good thing, but they had done church, you know, they had ministered for in, in one way, you know, underground secretively so that whenever those restrictions were lifted, they weren't, they didn't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. And, and I, actually it was the younger generation that was pressing them to be more open and be more public. And so and that was, a, that, that church, it was necessary for that church to change. They mm -hmm. couldn't keep, they couldn't keep doing church as an underground church. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also uh, with uh, the stress uh, somewhat, so I, I sense some, some stress on the, on the, on the fact that God is immutable. He doesn't yes. change and establishing that in the minds of people that is actually preparing them that what actually can change and cannot change. Be, I'm speaking in reality, I believe that God is immutable, he cannot change, and these things can change, the rest can change. So it is in some ways preparing the congregation, biblically. Yes. Uh, at the same time, by not 
by helping them not to lose the focus that is gospel centered. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and I think, I think it, it gives them a, a certain measure of security. Okay. We're not, you know, the change that, that we're seeking to make is not, you know, we're not abandoning the gospel. We will never abandon the gospel. Mm -hmm. We will never abandon the truth of God's word. Mm -hmm. And if, I think if people have that security, okay, now let's, let's evaluate what, what needs to change or what we're trying to change in the light of that truth. Does this fit within the parameters mm -hmm. of established truth that cannot change? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's that's a good point. You, you know, I think it's John what John eight thirty two. You shall know the truth, and the mm -hmm. truth shall set you free. And whenever we're anchored to that truth, then we can we can move within the parameters of that truth. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, a, that's a great point. So that'll actually uh, help the congregation see that really the pastor is not going beyond or outside the limits. Yeah. Um, he's still within the limits where the changes can be made and still remain biblical. Yes, yes. And we have to establish that. We have to establish that in our own hearts. Mm. That's, that's when... Uh, yeah, when, when that is set in people's minds and their hearts, for, for example, then the, the transition is not going to be a, uh, a major issue because then they have an understanding, proper understanding of who God is and what can and cannot change and how much this change could affect. Because then they're seeing on the broader perspective, this change is not going to be uh, highlighting a major problem from, from their perspective. Yeah, as a matter of fact, the changes that we seek to make should make us more effective. Mm -hmm. and, and, and if we can show people that, mm -hmm. this is why we're making the change. It is to help us to be more effective as disciple makers. Mm -hmm. uh, and if we don't make the change, then it will hinder us in that process. Mm -hmm. and if we can establish that and help people to see that, then the resistance to change, I think, is reduced. Mm. That's wonderful. I'm so I'm pumped with these points. I mean, these are really, really great points. Uh, is there anything else that you, you would like to, for example, suggest to um, uh, young church planters? What could they expect? Uh, for example, if I am called to plant a church, and this is literally my first step in the church planting ministry, what can I expect down the road? Like, how open should I be, for example, these changes, or should I even worry about it now, or deal with them when time comes? Wow. Um, again, Joel, I think that having, for a church planter, having a vibrant relationship with the Lord Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and again, the basics of that vibrancy is knowing the word of God, being a student of the word of God, and, and building my relationship through knowing. That we have the Bible mm -hmm. to help us to know our God. He, that's, you know, that's special revelation. That's how we can know him. Um, and having that, that vibrancy in my own relationship, I, I would say that that, that is crucial. Um, and, you know, you, I think your question was, what can I expect down the road? Mm -hmm. Okay, that will help me deal with any issues 
that 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 come up no matter what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think that the second thing that that's necessary is know the people that you're seeking to minister to. Uh, you know, as I explained in my introduction, I am a child of the Appalachian Mountains. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father was a coal miner. Um, and so the people that I'm ministering to, they are my people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can relate to them. And this helps me not only to know them, but Joel, it helps me to love them. Mm-hmm. And, and I love the people that that I that I minister to so that when opposition comes whenever I love them in spite of that opposition and I try to help them work through it um, when when they don't understand why that that I may be doing some of the things that I'm doing my love for them does not allow me to abuse them my love for them presses me to to help them to understand to increase their knowledge of god you know the apostle paul he had a love for the jews as a matter of fact he said i i, I could wish myself to be accursed mm-hmm. if if i could see them come to know the lord jesus and so i think you know knowing god loving god knowing his word having a vibrant relationship with him and knowing why you're doing what you're doing why why are you a church planter Mm -hmm. and then having a love for the people that you're ministering to and to know them to appreciate their apprehension to appreciate their fears to appreciate the the hurdles and the obstacles that they have got to overcome in order to be effective disciple makers effective church members what what are the things that are hindering them and then you know, don't make light of those things. Uh, appreciate them. Uh, you know, what, what, what's unique about them? Mm-hmm. And, and loving them uh, in spite of whatever those, those obstacles and hindrances may be. Um, I think that to answer your question, what can you expect? I think that you can expect opposition. Mm-hmm. I think that you can expect resistance because we live in a fallen world and we are ministering to a fallen people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I wish I could remember the scholar, the, the commentator that, that made the statement in regards to Moses's ministry. He said, Moses was leading an obstinate people out of a resistant nation. And that to a certain extent that, that captures a lot of what ministry is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're fallen people. We're ministering to a fallen people, and we are seeking to bring them out of a satanically energized world and kingdom and introduce them to the kingdom of God. And Satan is going to reduce, he is going to resist that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in many ways, we, we mirror Moses' ministry. We lead an obstinate people out of a resistant nation. Mm-hmm. And so we can expect that. And no matter if you're in India mm-hmm. or if you're in Beckley. Mm-hmm. it's going to be the same mm-hmm. to a certain extent so i mean at some point a minister or a pastor of a new church or, or pastoring a church at this point 
they could expect some of this happening because of course it is God's work and where there's God's work, there's also going to be some outside influence that could cause some issues. So uh, the way I understood is uh, expect opposition or resistance. It's not a smooth ride. It, it's, it's not. Um, and that's why that I, that's why that I think that it's, it's very important for us as leaders, as church planters, as pastors to have that vibrant relationship with God. Uh, be able to answer that question why am i doing what i'm doing i'm doing it for the glory of god and and he is his glory is worth my efforts and whatever price that i'm paying for that and i gotta i gotta have that clear vision um you know if if i if i'm doing this for the good of man you know these 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 poor sinners um, they are you know they're dying and they're going to hell. And that's true. And I love them. Okay. And, and that's certainly a part of the motivation. But if that's my only motivation, at some point in time, those fallen people are going to turn and attack me. And when they do, will I quit? Will I tuck tail and run? Or will I say, you see, if I'm doing that for the good of man, they're not always going to be appreciative of that. And if that's my only motivation, if that's my sole motivation, then I think I run a very uh, fragile, well, I run a very big risk of, of quitting because when they don't appreciate what I'm doing, <laughs> then why should I stay here? Right. Well, I should stay here because that's what God called me to do and he's worth it. Mm. And that's whenever that's my vision, mm. that's what's motivating me, then, then, I can, then I can stick by the stuff. Mm. Uh, but if I get my eyes on man, if I become anthropocentric, man-centered, mm -hmm. and I'm seeking this for the good of man, don't they understand that? Don't they see that? Well, not all, they don't always, they don't always will. Mm -hmm. You know, Paul said, I'm a debtor to the, to the barbarian, to the Greek, to the Jew. He was a debtor. Yes. And we are debtors. And whenever we come to pay that debt, they're not always going to appreciate it. Mm -hmm. uh, right. They're not always going to understand it that way. Mm -hmm. uh, because here we are telling them you're sinners. Mm -hmm. You are abiding under the condemnation of a holy God. Now, they're not always going to appreciate that message. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, to the second point that we must love them anyway, certainly we must love them and we must love their soul. Mm -hmm. We must know that seeing them come to know the Lord Christ is going to honor and glorify God. Mm -hmm. Um, that's got, to be the, that's got to be the motivating factor. That's what will sustain us <clears throat> through the resistance, through the opposition, through the heartbreak, through the disappointment. That's what will sustain us. Wow. This is, this is wonderful. Um, so I have, uh, we have so far covered some major points. So what can change and what must change. And once we understand those, we can understand how can we bring in that change? And obviously having a bigger perspective of who God is, that's, 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 that's the anchor uh, point, like you mentioned. And also establishing the truth, because they need to know the truth. And then we can continue, once that is established, mm -hmm. we can continue. So that will actually help in the transition. Knowing the truth gives me the freedom to make the changes that are necessary in order to make me an effective disciple maker. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. 
And um, and some of the suggestions uh, for a new church planter I have is, you know, be relative, be salt and light, be flexible, flexible, um, establish uh, in the minds of people that God is immutable. Um, and also some of the I mean, interesting statements that you made here are be vibrant in relation with God. I mean, vibrant relationship with God and know God's word. And obviously, if one doesn't know God's word, he doesn't know how uh, he wouldn't know how to run to run the church. He won't know what can't change. Yeah, and that's that's first. That's the foundation. That's the basis. Mm-hmm. You got to know what can't change. <laughs> and if you don't know God's word, then you can't establish that. Mm-hmm. And and also you said uh, know your people. That is uh, that you're seeking to minister. So I mean, knowing the people actually helps the pastor. I mean, if, if I'm this is my first day in ministry, and if I'm trying. Uh, let's say first week in ministry. If I'm trying to set some changes, I mean, it is. You suggest it'd be better to wait and learn about the audience first, and then slowly bring in yeah. the concept of transition. Yes, I would, um, and establish a measure of trust. Uh, you know, it, it, and, and I'm not the one that originates this, but I think it's true. People don't care to know what you know, mm-hmm. until they know you care. And establish that. That's that's what I mean. Getting to know people, um, you know that um, I'm sure. I'm sure that if you dropped me in India, I, I <laughs> you know, I'd, I, it'd take me a long time yeah. uh, to get acclimated to the point to where I can effectively minister to people of that culture. Mm-hmm. And you know, of course, you've been here in the states for uh, you know a long time now. And so you know some of the quirks of the American <laughs> American people, and they have them, okay? Well, even on a more narrow basis, you know, people of the Appalachians, you know, some people call us hillbillies. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> we, we have some quirks. You know, there are some, there are some things that are unique and particular about us. And because I am one of those people, I understand those quirks. I know I know why those quirks are there. And I understand why they're there. And that's what I mean by knowing your people and, and appreciating the people and getting to love the people. Um, that helps you a great deal in being able to interface their life with the gospel. Uh-huh. Okay, okay. So I mean, there's nothing wrong uh, uh, I would see what you thought. So there's nothing wrong. So for example, if I'm so passionate about preaching, as God called me to preach, there's nothing wrong to be passionate, but I need to be understanding where I need to draw the line before I take this kind of step. Yes. Yeah. Draw the line in the sense like I need to understand the congregation. I need to show that love towards congregation. Uh, yeah. I, and I think... Joel, whenever whenever you take the time to do that, then what that what I think that does with your passion then is that allows you to focus your passion mm. on those people and with you know and appreciate them. Um, whereas if you just have raw passion to preach the word of God, then it's kind of like you know getting run over by a, a Mack truck. You know, I, I can come at you with all this passion. 
and that's that's you know it's that's wonderful there's nothing wrong with passion i i i'm a passionate man i i love preaching i love te teaching the word of god but um it's you know i don't need to uh you know i don't need to come at people with a fire hose <laughs> when all they have is a teacup <laughs> you know it's hard to drink that way right uh, and i can come across that way mm. but if i understand if i'm if i'm ministering to a timid people then i okay that doesn't that doesn't dampen my passion it allows me to focus that passion mm. that's great thank you so much for answering these and also giving us some insights and i hope uh those who are listening, whether they're in pastoral ministry or going to be pastors or called to be pastors and so forth, I hope this this interview is going to be really helpful to you. Um, and some of the key points I would suggest to focus on those, and obviously the first one is to know God and God doesn't change. And on our level, things change. And just be flexible, adaptable, and, and so forth, so that uh, the, the ministry will continue uh, at the same time, we can also bring in transitions when there's a need for it, and those transitions will happen smoothly. I, you, to that point, Joel, I think that, you know, let me just give you three questions that I think that we have to ask ourselves constantly in ministry and, and to remind ourselves. Uh, and the first question is, what am I supposed to be doing? Uh -huh. As a leader in this church, what am I supposed to be doing, and be able to answer that biblically? And of course, the you know the the general answer, the broad answer to that question is, I'm supposed to be making disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, that's the Great Commission. Mm -hmm. And then the second question that I need to ask myself and the church that I'm ministering to, excuse me, is how well am I doing it? Mm. How well am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? And then the third question that will help me understand this, this whole task of change is this, can I do it better? Uh -huh. And the answer to that question is always, yes, I can do it better. And if I ever say, no, I can't do it better, then I've established perfection. <laughs> if I can't improve, okay, if I can't grow anymore, if I can't be a, a better pastor, uh, you know, when a fruit reaches its ripest, the next point is rotten. Uh -huh. And and so am I, am I continuing to ripen? Am I continuing to grow and mature and develop? And I should be. Uh -huh. and, and the same thing should be true for our churches that we're leading. So I think we ought to ask our church, uh, those three questions all the time. Church, do you know what you're supposed to be doing? How well do you think we're doing? Do you honestly think we can do it better? Hmm. And then answer those questions honestly. And then I think develop a strategy for growing, for, for uh, changing, for becoming more effective. Um, and then set about to execute that strategy. Okay, that's that's great. Is there anything that you'd like to add? Something that comes to your mind? Um, well, just you know, in to further clarify, uh, you know, getting to know your people and loving your people. One of the things I think for especially for young pastors, church planters, um, I would say this: 
recognize your tribal chiefs. Mm. Um, you know, there are people within the church that are influential and they are leaders, but they may not have a position. And I would say you need to, you need to get to know those people, know who they are um, as best you can try to discern their heart. Um, and I, you know, you don't need to be manipulative, but I think that you need to make them your friend and you need to be close to those people because especially in the beginning of a ministry, know who the tribal chiefs are, know who the people who are influential in your ministry hmm. and try to get to know them really, really well, make them a friend hmm. um, so that you can discern what their, what their motivations are, hmm. why, you know, uh, and uh, so I, I think that that's, that's really important is to get to know who the people are in the church that are influential. Mm-hmm. They may not even have a position. Mm-hmm. But they can still influence. But they can still influence. And they will be influential. Mm-hmm. And you need to know who they are and identify them. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can, make them your friend. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Thank you for all the suggestions and the input that you've given us from your experience in regards to how do we go about making changes in the church without destroying it because making changes can destroy the church if it's not if there is no proper method proper approach yes to the change and i'm very glad that you've given us some key things to actually think through if if and when the change is necessary. And I hope this podcast is going to be helpful to those uh, whether new church planters or already who are in, in pastoral ministry and so forth. And if they're uh, seeking to make any changes uh, in their church. Uh, with that said, uh, you have something else? Yeah, just, just one more point. Um, you know, I wouldn't say go slow but I would say go easy, mm-hmm. communicate clearly, help your people understand, help make sure that they, that they know what you're doing. Don't surprise them. Mm-hmm. Uh, go, go, you know, go easy. And that doesn't necessarily mean you go slow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think there's a difference between going easy and going slow. <laughs> yes. Uh, go easy. And don't surprise. Those two are also important. Yeah. Because if you surprise the congregation, that's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They get scared. Yeah. When people get scared. You know. And that's when uh, a pastor or minister he would see the, the peak of resistance, what it means by resisting something. Yeah. He's not on thin ice at that point. He's on open water. <laughs> uh, that's... that's... That's very interesting. <laughs> well, Pastor Ken, thank you so much for your time and, and for coming here on, on live with the podcast and answering some of the important uh, questions that a church may have today. And I pray that this podcast will be helpful to many who are listening and uh, be an encouraging podcast to those who wants to know how to uh, go about making changes in church. Uh, so again, Pastor, thank you so much for your time. And I would like to continue to have some more interviews with you on, on certain topics. And I pray that 
we together will be able to help others. And I pray that God will enable us to help others to actually be stronger in God's word and also do uh, ministry that is a biblically based ministry. Joel, it's my privilege. I am so thankful that you have given me the opportunity to um, share. Um, and so the joy is mine. Uh, and, and I too uh, will look forward to uh, interacting with you uh, on, your pod, on your podcast in, in, the new, in the near future. Thank you. Thank you so much.